Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. I found out a long time ago that the last thing that most ladies want is to have men fighting over them. This old, old story from Spain, written by Serafine Estebanez Calderon, and called An Andalusian Duel, is a story of just that. Through the little square of St. Anna, towards a certain tavern, where the best wine is to be quaffed in Seville, there walked in measured steps two men whose demeanor clearly manifested the soil which gave them birth. He who walked in the middle of the street, taller than the other by about a finger's length, sported with affected carelessness the wide, slouched hat of a seja, with tassels of glass beads and a ribbon as black as his sins. He wore his cloak gathered under his left arm, the right, emerging from a turquoise lining, exposed the merino lambskin with silver clasps. The herdsman's boots, white, with Turkish buttons, the breeches gleaming red from below the cloak and covering the knee, and above all, his strong and robust appearance, dark curly hair, an eye like a red-hot coal, proclaimed at a distance that all this combination belonged to one of those men who put an end to horses between their knees and tire out the bull with their lance. He walked on, arguing with his companion, who was rather spare than prodigal in his person, but marvelously lithe and supple. The latter was shod with low shoes, garters united the stockings to the light blue breeches, the waistcoat was cane-colored, his sash light green, and jaunty shoulder-knots, lappets, and rows of buttons ornamented the carmelite jacket. The open cloak, the hat drawn over his ear, his short, clean steps, and the manifestations in all his limbs and movements of agility and elasticity beyond trial, plainly showed that in the arena, carmine cloth in hand, he would mock at the most frenzied of Harama bulls, or the best horned beasts from Utrera. I, who adore and die for such people, though the compliment be not returned, went slowly in the wake of their worships, and unable to restrain myself, entered with them the same tavern, or rather eating-house, since there they serve certain provocatives as well as wine, and I, as my readers perceive, love to call things by their right name. I entered and sat down at once, and in such a manner as not to interrupt Oliver and Roland, and that they might not notice me, when I saw that, as if believing themselves alone, they threw their arms with an amicable gesture round each other's neck, and thus began their discourse. You here? I there? One, two, on your guard, tris, tras, have that, take this, and call it what you like. Let us first drain a tankard to the music and measure of some songs. Signor Balbeja, replied Polpete, drawing his face aside and spitting with the greatest neatness and pulchritude towards his shoe. I am not the kind of man either for La Gora or other similar earthly matters, or because a steel tongue is sheathed in my body, or for any other such trifle, to be provoked or vexed with such a friend as Balbeja. Let the wine be brought, and then we will sing, and afterwards, blood. Blood to the hilt. The order was given, they clinked glasses, and looking one at the other, sang a civilian song. This done, they drew off their cloaks with an easy grace, and unsheathed their knives with which to prick one another, the one knife Flemish with a white haft, the other from Guadis, with a guard to the hilt, both blades dazzling in their brightness, and sharpened and ground enough for operating upon cataracts, much less ripping up bellies and bowels. 
The two had already cleft the air several times with the said lancets. Their cloak wound round their left arm, first drawing closer, then back, now more boldly and in bounds, when Popete hoisted the flag for parley and said, "'Balbeja, my friend, I only beg you to do me the favor not to fan my face with Huilan, your knife, since a slash might use it so ill that my mother who bore me would not know me, and I should not like to be considered ugly.' "'Neither is it right to mar and destroy what God made in his likeness.' "'Agreed,' replied Balbeja. "'I will aim lower.' "'Except to my stomach also, for I was ever a friend to cleanliness, "'and I should not like to see myself fouled in a bad way, "'if your knife and arm played havoc with my liver and intestines. "'I will strike higher. "'But let us go on. "'Take care of my jest. It was always weak.' "'Then just tell me, friend, where am I to sound or tap you?' "'My dear Balbeja, there's always plenty of time and space to hack at a man. "'I have here on my left arm a wen, of which you can make meat as much as you like.' "'Here goes for it,' said Balbeja, and he hurled himself like an arrow. "'The other warded off the thrust with his cloak, and both, like skillful penmen, began tracing S's and signatures in the air, with dashes and flourishes, without, however, raising a particle of skin. I do not know what would have been the end of this onslaught, since my venerable, dry, and shriveled person was not suitable for forming a point of exclamation between two combatants, and the tavern-keeper troubled so little about what was happening that he drowned the stamping of their feet and clatter of the tumbling stools and utensils by scraping street music on a guitar as loud as he could. Otherwise he was as calm as if he were entertaining two angels instead of two devils incarnate. I do not know, I repeat, how this scene would have ended, when there crossed the threshold a parsonage who came to take a part in the development of the drama. There entered, I say, a woman of twenty to twenty-two years of age, diminutive in body, superlative in audacity and grace, neat and clean hose and shoes, short, black-flounced petticoat, a linked girdle, headdress or mantilla of fringed taffeta caught together at the nape of her neck, and a corner of it over her shoulder. She passed before my eyes with swaying hips, arms akimbo, and moving her head to and fro as she looked about her on all sides. Upon seeing her, the tavern-keeper dropped his instrument, and I was overtaken by perturbations such as I had not experienced for thirty years. I am, after all, only flesh and blood." "'but without halting for such lay figures "'she advanced to the field of battle. "'There was a lively to-do here. "'Don Popete and Don Balbeja, "'when they saw Doña Gora appear, first cause of the disturbance, "'and future prize for the victor, "'increased their feints, flourishes, "'curvettes, onsets, "'crouching and bounds, "'all, however, without touching a hair. "'Our Helen witnessed in silence "'for a long time this scene in history with that feminine pleasure which the daughters of Eve enjoy at such critical moments. But gradually her pretty brow clouded over until, drawing from her delicate ear, not a flower or earring, but the stump of a cigar, she hurled it amidst the jousters. Not even Charles V's cane in the last duel in Spain produced such favorable effects. Both came forward immediately with formal respect, and each, by reason of the discomposure of his person and clothes, "'presumed to urge a title by which to recommend himself to the fair with the flounces. "'She, as though pensive, was going over the passage of arms in her mind, "'and then, with firm and confident resolution, spoke thus. "'And is this a fair for me?' 
"'Who else should it be for? "'Since I... "'Since nobody,' they replied in the same breath. "'Listen, gentlemen,' said she, "'for females such as I and my parts "'of my charms and descent, "'daughter of La Catusa, "'niece of La Mendez, "'and granddaughter of La Estrosa, "'know that there are neither pacts nor compacts, "'nor any such futile things, "'nor are any of them worth the farthing. "'And when men challenge each other, "'let the knife do its work and the red blood flow.' "'so as not to have my mother's daughter present "'without giving her the pleasure of snapping her fingers in the face of the other. "'If you pretend you are fighting for me, it's a lie. "'You are wholly mistaken, and that not by halves. "'I love neither of you. "'Minglarios of Zafra is to my taste, "'and he and I look upon you with scorn and contempt. "'Good-bye, my braves, and if you like, call my man to account.' "'She spoke, spat, "'smoothed the saliva with the point of her shoe, "'looking Polpete and Balbeja full in the face, "'and went out with the same expressive movements "'with which she entered. "'The two unvarnished braggarts "'followed the valorous Doña Gorja with their eyes, "'and then, with a despicable gesture, "'drew their knives across their sleeve "'as though wiping off blood there might have been, "'sheathed them at one and the same time, "'and said together, "'Through woman the world was lost. "'Through a woman Spain was lost. "'But it has never been known.' nor do ballads relate, nor the blind beggars sing, nor is it heard in the square or markets that two valiant men killed each other for another lover. Give me that fist, Don Popete. And your hand, Don Balbeja. They spoke and strode out into the street, the best friends in the world, leaving me all amazed at such whimsicality. We'll return to our second story right after this sponsor message. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And now, back to our show. Our second story from the book First Love and Other Fascinating Stories of Spanish Life is titled Captain Venino's Proposal of Marriage, written by Pedro Antonio de Alarcón. Great heavens, what a woman, cried the captain, and stamped with fury. Not without reason have I been trembling and in fear of her from the first time I saw her. It must have been a warning of fate that I stopped playing écarté with her. It was also a bad omen that I passed so many sleepless nights. Was there ever mortal in a worse perplexity than I am? How can I leave her alone and without a protector, loving her, as I do, more than my own life? And, on the other hand, how can I marry her after all my declaimings against marriage? Then turning to Augustus, what would they say of me in the club? What would people say of me if they met me in the street 
with a woman on my arm, or if they found me at home, just about to feed a child in swaddling clothes? I, to have children? To worry about them? To live in eternal fear that they might fall sick or die? Augustus, believe me, as true as there is a God above us, I am absolutely unfit for it. I should behave in such a way that after a short while you would call upon heaven either to be divorced or to become a widow. Listen to my advice. Do not marry me, even if I ask you. What a strange creature you are, said the young woman, without allowing herself to be at all discomposed, and sitting very erect in her chair. All that you are only telling to yourself? From what do you conclude that I wish to be married to you, that I would accept your offer, and that I should not prefer living by myself, even if I had to work day and night, as so many girls do who are orphans? How do I come to that conclusion? answered the captain with the greatest candor. "'Because it cannot be otherwise. "'Because we love each other. "'Because we are drawn to each other. "'Because a man such as I, and a woman such as you, "'cannot live in any other way. "'Do you suppose I do not understand that? "'Don't you suppose I reflected on it before now? "'Do you think I am indifferent in your good name and reputation? "'I have spoken plainly in order to speak, "'in order to fly from my own conviction.' in order to examine whether I can escape from this terrible dilemma which is robbing me of my sleep, and whether I can possibly find an expedient so that I need not marry you, to do which I shall finally be compelled, if you stand by your resolve to make your way alone. Alone? repeated Augustus, roguishly. And why not, with a worthier companion? Who tells you that I shall not some day meet a man whom I like, and who is not afraid to marry me? Augustus, let us skip that growled the captain, his face turning scarlet. "'And why should we not talk about it? "'Let us pass over that, and let me say, at the same time, "'that I will murder the man who dares to ask for your hand. "'But it is madness on my part to be angry without any reason. "'I am not so dull as not to see how we two stand. "'Shall I tell you? "'We love each other. "'Do not tell me I am mistaken. "'That would be lying. "'And here is the proof. "'If you do not love me, I, too, should not love you. Let us try to meet one another halfway. I ask for a delay of ten years, when I shall have completed my half-century, and when, a feeble old man, I shall have become familiar with the idea of slavery. Then we will marry without anyone knowing about it. We will leave Madrid and go to the country, where we shall have no spectators, where there will be nobody to make fun of me. But until this happens, please take half of my income secretly, without any human soul ever knowing anything about it. You continue to live here, and I remain in my house. We will see each other, but only in the presence of witnesses, for instance, in society. We will write to each other every day, so as not to endanger your good name, I will never pass through this street, and on Memorial Day only we will go to the cemetery together with Rosa. Augustus could not help but smile at the last proposal of the good captain, and her smile was not mocking, but contented and happy, as if some cherished hope had dawned in her heart, as if it were the first ray of the sun of happiness which was about to rise in her heaven. But being a woman, though as brave and free from artifices as few of them, she yet managed to subdue the signs of joy rising within her. She acted as if she cherished not the slightest hope, and said with a distant coolness, which is usually the special and genuine sign of chaste reserve, 
"'You make yourself ridiculous with your peculiar conditions. "'You stipulate for the gift of an engagement ring, "'for which nobody has yet asked you. "'I know still another way out, for a compromise, "'but that is really the last one. "'Do you fully understand, my young lady from Aragon? "'It is the last way out, which a man, also from Aragon, "'begs leave to explain to you.' "'She turned her head and looked straight into his eyes, "'and with an expression indescribably earnest.' "'captivating, quiet, and full of expectation. "'The captain had never seen her features "'so beautiful and expressive. "'At that moment she looked to him like a queen. "'Augustius,' said, or rather stammered, "'this brave soldier, "'who had been under fire a hundred times, "'and who had made such a deep impression on the young girl "'through his charging under a rain of bullets like a lion. "'I have the honor to ask for your hand "'on one certain, essential, unchangeable condition. "'Tomorrow morning,' "'Today, as soon as the papers are in order, as quickly as possible. "'I can live without you no longer.' "'The glances of the young girl became milder, "'and she rewarded him for his decided heroism "'with a tender and bewitching smile. "'But I repeat that it is on one condition.' "'The bold warrior hastened to repeat, "'feeling that Augustia's glances made him confused and weak. "'On what condition?' asked the young girl, turning fully round. "'and now holding him under the witchery of her sparkling black eyes. "'On the condition,' he stammered, "'that in case we have children, we send them to the orphanage. "'I mean, on this point I will never yield. "'Well, do you consent? "'For heaven's sake, say yes.' "'Why should I not consent to it, Captain Venino?' "'answered Augustus with a peal of laughter. "'You shall take them there yourself, or better still, "'we both of us will take them there.' "'and we will give them up without kissing them, or anything else. "'Don't you think we shall take them there?' "'Thus spoke Augustus, and looked at the captain with exquisite joy in her eyes. "'The good captain thought he would die of happiness. "'A flood of tears burst from his eyes. "'He folded the blushing girls in his arms, and said, "'So I am lost.' "'Irretrievably lost, Captain Venero,' answered Augustia. "'One morning in May, 1852, that is, Four years after the scene just described, a friend of mine, who told me this story, stopped his horse in front of a mansion on San Francisco Avenue, in Madrid. He threw the reins to his groom, and asked a long-coated footman who met him at the door, "'Is your master at home?' "'If your honor will be good enough to walk upstairs, you will find him in the library. His Excellency does not like to have visitors announced. Everybody can go up to him directly.' "'Fortunately, I know the house thoroughly,' said the stranger to himself. "'while he mounted the stairs. "'In the library? "'Well, well, who would have thought of Captain Venino "'ever taking to the sciences?' "'Wandering through the rooms, "'the visitor met another servant, who repeated, "'The master is in the library.' "'And at last he came to the door of the room in question, "'opened it quickly, and stood, "'almost turned to stone for astonishment, "'before the remarkable group which it offered to his view. "'In the middle of the room, on the carpet which covered the door, "'A man was crawling on all fours. "'On his back rode a little fellow about three years old, "'who was kicking the man's sides with his heels. "'Another small boy, who might have been a year and a half old, "'stood in front of the man's head, "'and had evidently been tumbling his hair. "'One hand held the father's neckerchief, "'and the little fellow was tugging at it as if it had been a halter, "'shouting with delight in his merry child's voice, "'Gee up, donkey! Gee up!' <laughs> Thanks for joining us for these two love stories from Old Spain. 
We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new episode or episodes for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. If you enjoy our show, please do take a moment to send us a review. Apple listeners, we would appreciate that very much. Until next week, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.